0: Well, hi, everybody. It's uh, good to see your faces, albeit over a screen again, but nevertheless, good to see you. Well, the question this book, the book of Ruth, asks is this. Where is God when life hurts, when everything goes wrong, when it seems that even God himself has decided to make things hard for you? Where is he? Has he abandoned you? Are his promises empty? Has his plan failed? Or maybe has he just decided to leave you out of his plans? Where is God when you can't see how things could possibly turn out for good? On the darkest of days, is he still looking after you? Does he still love you? These are the questions the book asks and answers. Now, you might be in that place right now uh, asking exactly those kinds of questions. You may have been in that place in the past. You may still come to that place one day. None of us will live all our days without asking those questions at some stage. We will all have dark and difficult days. Probably, though, none of us will fi- will face days quite so desperate as Naomi did. Uh, her husband had moved the family from their home in Bethlehem in Judah to another country, to Moab. Now, of course, people don't just leave their country just for the sake of it. Well, perhaps some do nowadays in our much more mobile modern world, but not back then. In ancient times, a person's whole sense of identity was bound up with the place they lived and the people they lived there with. But Naomi had to say goodbye to her home where her sons were born, to bid farewell to friends long loved. To walk away from familiar places with the lifetime's memories attached to them. To leave behind the community she'd worshipped with for years. Leaving hurts. People don't leave for no reason. But there was a reason. Verse 1 tells us there was famine in Israel. Now what happens if you're pretty much a subsistence farmer when famine strikes? Well, you starve. And you watch your children die. And then you die. That's what happens. So Elimelech took his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, and they moved to Moab. Now, the Moabites were enemies. They'd had, to say the least, a tense relationship with Israel, dating all the way back to the days of Lot, Abraham's nephew, probably probably about 600 years before this. And in recent times, Eglon, the king of Moab, had conspired with the Ammonites and the Amalekites, uh, other enemy tribes in the region, to invade Israel, to occupy Jericho, to oppress the people of Israel for 18 years. You can read about that in Judges chapter 3. The point is that Moab was not friendly territory. But that's where Elimelech took Naomi and their two sons. And that's where he died, leaving Naomi a widow in enemy land. And then 10 years later, her sons died, leaving her both widowed and without sons. Now, of course, that would be devastating for any woman, for any wife and mother in any country at any time in history. That would be devastating today. But we need to understand and to feel the situation as the writer of the book means us to. Remember, Naomi is in enemy land. Her husband is dead. Her sons abandoned the ways of God by marrying Moabite women which Israelite men were forbidden to do and then they died too. She has nobody to care for her. She's too old to remarry. We see that in verse 12 and in that society at that time a middle-aged or older woman without a husband and without adult sons to provide for her had nothing. She was utterly destitute There was nothing left to her, no home, no husband, no sons, no property, no money, no community. She had become nothing and nobody. In the original Hebrew text, the second half of verse 5 says simply, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Not Naomi was left, simply the woman. This is the symbolic end of her descent into emptiness and certainly that's how she felt empty and alone look at verse 13 at how she describes herself as one whom the lord has turned against and again in verse 21 as one whom the lord has afflicted upon whom the almighty has brought misfortune So that's the opening act of this drama. Naomi, whose name means pleasant, has been emptied. She's a refugee, bereaved, destitute, nameless. She has been reduced to simply the woman. The woman with no husband, with no sons, with no people, with no home, with no hope, and even with no name. Now, why has the author, he or she, we don't know who wrote the book, taken such care to flesh out the pain, the misery, the desperation of Naomi's circumstances? Well, to answer that question is to understand the central message of the book. And for that, we need to remember who the author was writing to. Quickly turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the end of the book, to the final verses of chapter 4. I'll read for us from verse 18. Last few verses of chapter 4, from verse 18. This is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David. Now, we haven't met Boaz in the story yet. We'll meet him next week in chapter 2. But we see in this genealogy near the end that Boaz becomes the great-grandfather of King David. And that is the key to understanding the book of Ruth. The whole book from chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 4, verse 17 just before this genealogy begins, in other words, the whole book is essentially a long introduction to this genealogy. These last five verses are what the whole book moves towards. Now, obviously, the fact that several generations after Boaz are named here at the end of the book means that the book was written after the time of David. The events in the book of Ruth happened before David, But the book was written after David. Why does that matter? Because in chapter 1, verse 5, there's no possibility of any David. Naomi is widowed. Her husband is dead. And her sons are dead. And she's too old to remarry. The point the author is making is that the line of Elimelech is over. The situation is hopeless. So chapter 4 should, from the perspective of chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 4 should end in verse 21. Verse 21 should read, Salmon was the father of Boaz, full stop, the end. There should be no Obed, no Jesse, no David. But the original readers of the book knew that there was a David. They were already on the other side. They already knew that somehow or other, God had solved the unsolvable problem of the o- opening scene. They already knew that the story didn't end in chapter 21, oh, sorry, verse 21 of chapter four. So why did the writer write this book generations later when his readers already knew the outcome? Three reasons, first, to record forever the beautiful story of how the Lord cared for his people. Not just that he cared for them, but how. That through the dark days, when the judges ruled, verse 1, and they were very dark days, that out of that darkness and the hopelessness of a nameless, sunless, empty, widowed refugee, the Lord raised up the great shepherd king of Israel. Second, to tell his readers, to tell you, that God has not abandoned you. No matter how dark and desperate your situation, no matter how empty you feel, you, if you are in Christ, are not nameless. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. Third, finally, to hold up before the eyes of your hearts The beauty of Christian character, to inspire you to greatness in the same way. Ruth and Boaz, for the beauty of their character, will be known for eternity to come. The so-called great and powerful of the world, however impressive they may be in some ways, will soon be forgotten. In God's reckoning, the beauty of Christ-like character gains an eternal memorial, even when played out in a small town in the back of nowhere. So over the four weeks that we spend in Ruth, pray you'll be comforted in the reminder that God always keeps his promises. He always fulfills his purposes, that you will be comforted in the reminder that part of what it means for him to fulfill his purposes is to care for you, even in the details of your daily needs. And that you will be inspired by the examples of beautiful Christian character of some who have gone before us. But for now, let's return to the story. So what happens in the rest of chapter 1? Well, we know the situation at verse 5. It's hopeless, desperate. Naomi is a widowed and sonless refugee in enemy country. She's a nameless nobody. She feels empty, even like God himself has turned against her. So against that background, what does the author want to say to you in chapter 1? Turn to the Lord, trust in him, and you will be saved. That's the message of chapter 1. Turn to the Lord, trust in him, and you will be saved. Now, This would be even more obvious if we were Jewish people listening to the story, because there's a verb that appears no less than 11 times between verse 6 and verse 22. It's translated some different ways in our English versions, but it's the same word on every occasion in the Hebrew text. So uh, i ask you to look in your Bibles with me uh, and follow from verse 6, and you'll see the author could not really make the main idea of chapter 1 any clearer for us. So here goes. From verse 6, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from Moab. Verse 7, she left Moab and set out on the road that would take them back to Judah. Verse 8, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, return, go back, each of you, to your mother's house. Verse 10, they said to her, we will Return, we will go back with you. But Naomi said to them, return home, my daughters. Verse 12, again, return home, my daughters. Verse 15, your sister-in-law is going back, returning to her people and her gods. Go back, return with her. Verse 16, do not urge me to turn back from you. Verse 21, the Lord has brought me back. And finally, verse 22, so Naomi returned from Moab. Turn to the Lord, trust in him, and you will be saved. That is the message of chapter one. Now, when we hear the words turn to the Lord in the Bible, we often think of that turning in the sense of repentance. And sometimes, well, Often, that's right. The book of Acts, for example, records when, uh, when the apostle Peter preached to a crowd in Jerusalem, and he said, repent, turn to God, that your sins may be wiped out. Sometimes the idea of turning does mean to turn from sin. But it doesn't always have that emphasis, because we are not only sinners. We are also sufferers in a fallen world. And God relates to you as both. As sinner, he calls you to turn in repentance, to turn from your sin, to turn to him in saving faith. But as a sufferer, he also invites you to turn to him for refuge. And there's no indication in this story that Naomi has sinned in any way. I'm not suggesting she was absolutely and perfectly without sin. Of course not. She was a human, just like you and me. But the author lays no wrongdoing on her shoulders at any point. Now, her husband, Elimelech, he did wrong. He sinned in taking his family out of the promised land and to Moab. Her sons, Marlon and Kilion, they sinned in marrying Moabite girls. And God judged them for their sin. But no sin, no wrongdoing is attributed to Naomi. So in what sense is she to turn to the Lord? In this sense, as a sufferer in need of refuge. And for that refuge, as one who needs to remember who the Lord is. What do I mean by that? Well, Let's look at the text and see what Naomi says about God. Who does Naomi think God is? In verse 13, she says, The Lord's hand has turned against me. In verse 20, The Almighty has made my life very bitter. And finally in verse 21, The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Who does Naomi think God is? He is the Lord who has turned his hand against me. He has made my life very bitter. He has afflicted me. He has brought misfortune upon me. In Naomi's mind, God is sovereign. He is almighty. He is all powerful. He controls and overrules all things. But he is against her. He is hard. He is unkind. Now, we can forgive Naomi for thinking this way. Remember, she lived in the dark days of the judges, some of the darkest days in Israel's history. Her husband had failed as the spiritual leader of his household. He had not trusted God. Instead, he had disobeyed him. Clearly, he had not taught his sons God's ways. And now Naomi has lived in enemy territory for 10 years in a country where they served different gods. She remembers the Lord, that's clear from the story. But she doesn't really know him. She hasn't learned to trust him. She doesn't know his kindness. And we can understand this too, can't we? When life is hard, when it feels like God has forgotten you, when it feels like all his providences have been hard, when you have no one around you to remind you that he is not just almighty, he is merciful, gracious, compassionate, kind and tender-hearted towards his own. One's heart can turn bitter. One's heart can turn cynical. And so Naomi's returning to the Lord was not the leaving behind of a life of sin for a life of obedience. It was the turning from an incomplete and wrong view of who God is to see him for who he truly is. In seeing him for who he truly is, to find refuge for her soul. And who is he? What does the author want you to see about who God is at this point in the story? Of course, there'll be more to see in the coming weeks. But what is God like in chapter one? Well, when we read stories in the Bible, we need to pay careful attention to what the author inserts into the story. What the characters say in the story is, of course, what they said. That's, in a sense, like journalism. The author doesn't make up the words of the character. Uh, He reports them. But the author can insert himself, insert his own perspective, his interpretation into the story in any way he wants. He's not reporting his own speech. When the author speaks in the story as the narrator of the story, he or she is giving us their Holy Spirit inspired interpretation of the story. So we want to look very carefully for what the narrator says. And in this story, in the book of Ruth, the narrator only speaks directly about God twice in the whole book. We'll come to the second occasion uh, another day, but the first is right here in verse 6. Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. Now, there are three things we see about the Lord in this verse. First, he is the Lord who comes to the aid of his people. He comes. He visits. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, the same word is used to say that uh, this or that king mustered his troops for battle. The Lord comes to the aid of his people. He doesn't stay far removed in the heavens. He is the Lord who comes to help those he loves. To Naomi, whose soul was close to crushed by the hard providence of God, who had come to believe that God himself was against her. The narrator wants to say, but look, Naomi, he comes to your aid. Second thing to see in this verse, the Lord came to the aid of his people by providing food for them. They were hungry from long years of famine, and the Lord fed them. The famine had served its purpose under the Lord's hand. It was his doing. And to the hungry, the Lord gave food. He gave what was needed for life. Do you remember what Naomi said in verse 20? I once was full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi had come to believe that the Lord is a God who takes. The narrator says to her, The Lord has made you ready to receive. And now he has come to supply all your need. Third. The Lord sends word of his coming across the lands into enemy country to reach the ears and the heart of Naomi, to call her home to himself. The Lord sends word. What does the narrator want Naomi to know about God, though though she cannot yet see it from behind the veil of her hurt? The Lord God of Israel is the Lord who comes to the aid of his people, to give food to the starving, to give life to the dying. And he is the Lord who sends word of his coming to those whose hearts he has prepared, sometimes by bitter, hard providence, to receive life from his hand. Could the writer of Ruth possibly have known what wonders he foreshadowed in the story? More than a thousand years later, the Lord came again, but this time in the flesh, and made his dwelling among us. Could the writer have known that he would come to give not just bread for life, but as the bread of life, the right to become children of God? That he who came was himself the word of God who crossed not just lands into enemy territory, but space and time itself into a world that would reject and crucify him. All so that those whose hearts had been ready to receive him would have eternal life. And so in words that are meant to sound like the sunrise after a long and dark night, the narrator tells us in verse 22, Naomi returned from Moab arriving in Bethlehem, just as the barley harvest was beginning. Naomi has come home to Bethlehem, which means the house of bread at the beginning of harvest season. But she hasn't come alone. With her, verse 22 tells us, was her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabite. Because the word of the Lord didn't just go to Naomi. The word of the Lord had gone to all whose hearts had been prepared to receive it, even to the people of Moab, enemies of Israel. And still today, the word of the Lord goes to all. The message of what he has done. The message that he came to give life to all who will trust in his name. But how will they trust in him unless they hear? How will they hear unless someone tells? Who do you need to tell, Christian, of what the Lord has done? Well, Naomi had told both of her daughters-in-law, both Orpah and Ruth, about the Lord. They were both attracted by the message of who the Lord was and what he had done and what he promised promised still to do for his people. But when they counted the cost of following, Orpah turned back. That's what's going on in verses 11 to 18. Naomi explains the cost of following. If you come with me, she says, I can't promise you an easy life. It's not within my power to give you what you need. I can't meet your natural human needs. I can't promise you husbands and sons. You will have to rely wholly on the Lord to meet your needs. Count the cost. You will be foreign widows, not Jewish virgins in my country. Count the cost. And Orpah, verse 14, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and returned, verse 15, to her people and to her gods. But Ruth said, verse 16, your people will be my people, your God my God. Ruth has turned from the gods of Moab, from the people of Moab. She has turned to the Lord God of Israel. And she has committed herself to the people of the Lord God of Israel. So chapter 1 is the story of two turnings. Ruth the Moabite, the daughter of an enemy nation, turning to the Lord God of Israel for salvation turning to him for protection and blessing. And Naomi, turning to the Lord God of Israel for refuge. What does your heart believe about God right now, Christian? Has bitter providence turned your heart hard towards him? If you are there, please don't stay there. Will the Lord, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for your salvation, will he not, along with him, graciously give you all things? The Lord is kind to his suffering people. He comes to your aid. He gives all you need. Turn to him. Turn to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will supply your every need. Won't you bow your hearts with me as I pray? Father, we we just marvel at who you are. That the God of all creation, the God of all things, the God of heaven and earth, should be a God merciful, kind, tender-hearted, full of compassion full of love, a God who comes, a God who gives, a God who rescues, a God who invites us to take refuge in him. What a marvel, what a wonder how our hearts rejoice in knowing who you are. Father, would you turn our hearts towards you, to trust in you, the God of our salvation. Amen.